Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, never just another Sunday. It never is just another Sunday in January, is it? Had a rough couple of weeks here with the snow, but I'm glad you all made it out this morning. I made a joke last night because there was probably about this many people in the sanctuary last night while it was snowing. I said, today's called Heart for the House. I don't even have to preach this to you all because you're out here in the snow. It's crazy. You obviously have a heart for God's house if you're going to be out in that. So thank you for being here this morning. How awesome is it that we saw two baptisms this morning and six last night? That's to be celebrated. Amazing. Today we're talking about King David's heart for God's house. And King David is one of my biblical heroes, right? I think he is that for a lot of us. We can't help but love his story. It's like a rags to riches kind of story, right? He was called anointed as king, being a shepherd in a field and became one of the Bible's greatest kings, history's greatest kings. You know, I love that he was a musician, that he was a warrior, that he was wise. He was faithful even when no one needed him to be. He acted like a king long before he was one. And even though he made mistakes, God still used him powerfully in his nation. If you've never studied the full story of David before, study it this week. There's so much gold in his story. You know, we talked about passion last week. David was a passionate man of God. He loved God with all his heart and was faithful to him way more times than he wasn't, right? He had a passion for God's house, too, which is where we're going today. If you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel 7 with me or go ahead and find the, the sermon notes on your FE Church app. Uh, just to, to give you a little background before we jump into this, David was a warrior. He had killed a lot in battle. Now, God sanctioned battle, but battle nonetheless. He, he also sinned against God and indirectly murdered his lover's husband. There was that whole issue that happened <laughs> later on in his life. Um, but he repented, God forgave him, they had moved past it, but nonetheless, he, he had blood on his hands, and we actually learn later on in his story that that has a lot to do with what happens here between him and God, but he was a very successful king. God had given him victory after victory, and, and he became very rich because of it, and we see this scene here in 2 Samuel 7 where he's sort of he just built himself this beautiful palace. He's sort of like gazing out the window, reflecting on life. And, well, we'll just read what happens. All right, starting in verse 1. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace. But the ark of God is out there in a tent. You feel his heart in this already? He already aches for the house of God. He, he sees himself as, as being so blessed by God. He, God had given him victory after victory, and here he is living in that victory, and God's out there in a tent, right? You can feel his heart for the house. David replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Now, this was sort of their default, right? Neither of them actually asked God yet by this point. They just 
God is with you. God has given you victory. He's given you favor. Go ahead and do what you plan to do because God is with you. That was the default. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Right? God's making clear to him that I am the giver of good things. I have given you a palace. You don't have to give me things. This is not how this works, right? I never asked you for this. Now, <clears throat> go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I also love here that God addresses David in his own language and meets him right where he's at. He addresses him as a commander from one warrior to another, right? He's, he's making it clear who is the commander in this situation. I am the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them, as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. He will make a house for you, right? A dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him, as I took it from Saul, David's predecessor, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in his vision. God says a whole lot there, right? Three paragraphs worth of what basically amounts to no, right? David was asking, he, he, actually he was just planning on making a house for God, something beautiful, a, a palace basically for God to rival his own palace, right? His, his heart was in the right place. He, he wanted to bless God back for everything that he done, had done for him. But basically, God says no. No, you can't build my house, but I will let your son. See, what we can learn from this passage is both a lesson on how to have a heart for God's house and on how to respond when God says no. I think a lot of us actually experience this. We may not have the language for it. We may not feel God actually saying no in our presence. It's not a big booming voice. It's not a message from a prophet like this maybe, but it feels like no anyway. We... we feel doors being shut. We, we're praying for uh, a particular job, and it doesn't happen. We're praying for healing. It doesn't happen. Something just feels like God is saying no, right? And how we respond in that moment is actually extremely important. 
extremely important. Even if your heart is in the right place in asking, sometimes God says, no, 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 don't get me wrong. He is the blesser, right? He is the provider, the deliverer, the comforter. He wants good things for you. He's not always saying no. Sometimes he does, and how we handle a no is extremely important. Have you ever been around a toddler who can't handle no very well? It's not pretty, is it? <laughs> Usually gets them in more trouble than if they had just submitted. Sometimes we act like toddlers when God says no, but David doesn't do that. He actually models a really healthy way to respond when God says no. So let's keep reading just a couple of verses. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, who am I, O sovereign Lord? That's important. He says it a few times. And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, sovereign Lord, because your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. He goes on and on and on for the rest of this chapter, just honoring God, thanking him, putting himself back in his rightful place. You can feel it all over this. Who am I and my family that you brought me out of this? And he calls him sovereign over and over and over again. See, when God says no, David had gratitude and he gave honor. What do we usually do when God says no? Stamp our feet and cross our arms and we, why God, right? We complain, we throw a fit. David doesn't do that. He realizes that God is sovereign. Sovereign actually means possessing supreme or ultimate power acting or done independently and without outside interference. David realizes that he is a king, maybe, but God is the king, right? We may be a leader in our context, but God is the leader of every context. We don't get to tell him what to do. We ask him what he'd like us to do, O sovereign Lord. David puts himself back in his rightful place. And it's an important distinction because it shifts your focus from your will to his will. Your will be done, Jesus prayed in his final moments in Gethsemane, right? He didn't want to go through what he had to go through, but he was modeling submission for us, just like David is modeling submission for us. I ask the wrong question. I talk about this all the time, but I'm constantly asking the wrong question of God. God, why me? Why are you doing this? Why am I walking through this? I don't want to do this. It's hard and it's painful and it's awful, right? We complain. David, we never see him say, why can't I build you a house, God? Why can't I do what I want? Why can't I be known for generations as the guy that built you a house? By the way, it's known as Solomon's temple throughout history. Solomon got to build it. Not David, even though it was his idea. Instead, David asked, what else can I do? What is in my hand to do? See, we see in First Chronicles, Chronicles is actually a book that chronicles uh, all the, the kings 
of Israel. And it gives us a little more background into what actually happened here. In 1 Chronicles 22, it says that David had fully accepted God's word on this matter. It seems like maybe, maybe he asked why because he had an actual answer. He knew why he couldn't build the house and why God said no in this moment was because of the blood on his hands. He was a warrior. God had given him peace later in life, but Solomon would be the one to build the temple. And we see that David sort of had this shift in focus. He, he said, okay, then what can I do to set Solomon up for success? And he goes about doing it. He, he gathers wood and precious metals and craftsmen, lots and lots of skilled laborers. And he, he even gathers the priests and the leaders of Israel at the time. And he says, come on, we're going to get together and we're going to get behind Solomon. And I want you guys to, to make this happen, help him make this happen. He gets everything ready, sets it all up, and then gives it to Solomon and says, go, run with it. This is what God has for you. He sets him up for success. He, he asks God, what is in my hand to do? Instead of complaining about all the things God said no to that he can't do. We complain so much about the past. We get our focus so far into the past that we can't forgive it and we can't look past it and we can't possibly move through it. We're stuck in the pain forever. We end up becoming it, don't we? Where your focus is, that's where you're going to gravitate toward. David didn't think about everything that had happened in the past. He just moved forward the best that he could. Learning to live within God's direction, not outside of it. He took correction extremely well. We actually see this throughout David's life. That moment where he killed his lover's husband, I mentioned. That whole story, I mean, and Nathan the prophet, the same prophet in this passage, comes to him and rebukes him thoroughly, harshly for what he had done. He did a bad thing in the sight of the Lord. Nathan rebuked him, and David went and repented, came back with a repentant heart, and God forgave him, just like he, he took correction in this moment from the same guy, by the way. A lot of us get hard-hearted when we get rebuked. <laughs> write that person off. They're just bitter. They're just whatever. I couldn't possibly, right? We rationalize everything in our head, make it fit our narrative of things. David didn't do it. He took the correction. He adjusted course, was submissive to God, and he continued to honor God in the meantime with what he did have. This may not be my calling. God, you called me to be a warrior and to bring peace to Israel, and I'm going to be okay with that. Just because you used me to get through one season of Israel's history doesn't mean you're going to use me to get to the next. I get it. So what can I do now? We, we, sometimes we pine for other people's callings. We completely miss our own, right? We want what that person has. I want to be really good at, at, at singing or something on stage or I want to do one of the more public gifts or I want to... I don't know. We, we look at everybody around us and we compare ourselves, don't we? We want what other people have. The problem with that is we can't all be the onstage gifts. We can't all have the most public gifts. They, let me give you just a secret. This doesn't work without all those people back there. It doesn't. I wouldn't be able to get up here and do what I do without all those guys in the sound booth, without the people up in the admin office printing the bulletins and making the sermon notes and the the 
amazing people back in nursery watching the babies right now so we can focus on the word, right? It, the church falls apart when we only have one gift. We have to set each other up for success. And, and God, in his infinite wisdom and, and the, just the genius of God, created us to work together that way, to help each other, support each other, to give into each other. David continued to honor him with what he did have. Now, sometimes God's no's are just not right now's. Or yes, but not you. <laughs> sometimes his no's come with a promise of a future hope. David was able to look past his own portion in this. Honor God with what he did have and move toward the future. That's actually the second one. When God says no, David modeled for us how to set up the next season for success. He said, yeah, I've been in seasons where I just I stomp my feet. and How dare you, God? Why me, right? And I completely miss the point of why God has me in that moment. I, I miss the learning experience. And God says, stop complaining for a second, slow down and listen, and you can set up your next season for success here. Just give it a minute. And we see David in 1 Chronicles 22 later on in this story, he, he kind of pulls Solomon aside. He says, all right, son, I've given you all these things. I've prepared all these things. You might have to do a little more. I've done what I can. But this is what the Lord has for you. He almost starts to treat him like a, like a disciple instead of just his son, like the anointed next king of Israel. He sees his kid as a disciple. There's a, a parenting secret in there too, probably, I think. When you start to look at your kids as disciples, things change. It's a parenting moment as much as a discipleship moment. We have a chance to put up the next generation on our shoulders to give them a head start. Now my church kids, my pastor's kids, my children, seven and four, have grown up in this church just like I did. I constantly credit my church kid background growing up in church, being surrounded by good people that spoke into my life with... I, I have... I, I look at my friends that I grew up with, and I see them having gone through so many issues, pain that they could have avoided. I didn't have to go through those things because I had godly people in my life rebuking me when I needed it and pulling me back on the right path when I needed it and speaking into my life that I'm a leader. I want that for my church kids, too. I want them to be surrounded by people that love them, that look at them as disciples, people that can give back into the church. Back in kids' ministry, I used to say when I, I led back there that I had my own little church back there because it was like those kids were praying for each other and they were worshiping and they were leading each other in worship and they were giving into the church. Seven-year-olds, right? We write them off sometimes, but we can't. We can't afford to. We have to duplicate our faith in them. They're the future of the church someday. Freedom Alley is excellent at this, by the way. I'm proof of that. We've always been good at believing in the next generation and putting them up on our shoulders and giving them chances to lead, to grow in front of everybody. 
That's it's what we do as the church. We have to be contributors into the body of church, not just consumers of it. And we don't want to ever train you. That's what this whole Never Just Another Sunday series is about. We're not training you to be consumers. We're training us to be contributors, to give into each other. And even when God says no in one area, to learn how we can give in another. David models for us how we can care more about what God thinks of us than what people think of us. He didn't care that it wasn't called David's temple throughout history. In fact, if you Google Solomon's temple, you can see what it looked like. People have put together these, you know, diagrams of what it probably looked like according to what the Bible says, and they're all called Solomon's temple. David's idea, (laughs) Solomon's temple. David set up the next generation for success, and he didn't really care who got the credit. He had a passion for preparing the next generation. Luke 14, 28 says, Jesus actually said, count the costs, right? Before you set out on a project, before you build a tower, you're going to first see if you have enough money to complete the project, right? You're going to be wise about it. You're going to prepare for the whole project. David did that for Solomon in the name of the house of God. He set him up for success. The third thing David did when God said no is he had a teachable heart. Ultimately, God, in his infinite wisdom and providence, he is in charge, right? Not us. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. You know, that was said to David's predecessor, Saul. Saul was rejected as king because of his stubbornness, because he refused to be teachable. He refused to be rebuked. He refused to listen to the word of the Lord. And so God set out to find a new king. And I I don't know if, if maybe David watched Saul be a king like that and said, I'm never going to be that way. And, and he just, he set out to have a teachable heart. It's why over and over and over when we see him rebuked, he takes the correction. He adjusts course. He doesn't rebel against it and rail against God about all the, the things that he has done for him and how dare he withhold this one thing from him. He just adjusts course, does what is within his hand to do. You know, we often think that because God used us to get through one season, he's going to use us in the same way for every season after it's just, it doesn't always work like that. You know, I've been in seasons where God, he says, you know, be you. Make a, a best decision that you can in the moment. I'm with you, right? And so I go about using my little gifts of organization and synchronization and building systems and doing what I would do with the best wisdom that I have at the time. And God blesses it. And I've also been in seasons where I'm all ready to go ahead and make the decision that I would make. And God says no. Just no, by the way. That's it. No, like, further instructions. (laughs) No, here's what you should do instead. Just no. Wait. And I do, and I take a deep breath, and I (laughs) wait sort of impatiently. But God comes through, and he builds my faith for the next time. I am, by the way, living currently in the rewards of waiting when God told me to wait, even though I did not want to. He comes through on that every time. If we're willing to listen to him, even when we don't really want to, 
willing to be submissive, willing to have a teachable heart to take the correction, adjust course, not get offended and angry every time somebody tells us some helpful criticism or when God says no. David, even though he had been rebuked by Nathan before, he took yet another rebuke from him, yet another no from God. Instead of getting rebellious and hard-hearted and stubborn at his, as his predecessor Saul had, we see him have a teachable heart, repent and move forward with a generous heart. A growing people change. If we are disciples of Jesus, we're, we're called to be constantly growing, right? To be constantly learning. We're never going to arrive. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be fully righteous on our own. It's because of what Jesus did for us, and we're meant to continually follow him, take his example, become more like him every single day, and it's a process. We have to be willing to change, to grow, and have a teachable heart. When God says no, we adjust, we learn, and we grow. So I want to pray today for us and over us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's useful to teach us, correct us, put us back on the right path. Your word says it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, show us which way to go. And when we're on the wrong path, stop us from going that way and allow us to be able to take that well, to adjust our course, to set our hearts and our minds on you and nothing but you. Thank you, God, for keeping us in line sometimes when we need it, for giving us a passion for your house. God, light a fire within us. We would love Jesus deeper than we ever have and want to see this world change because of the message of the gospel. Thank you in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, I want to give you a chance to respond to this. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I need to get better at that gratitude and honor, showing that I'm grateful for what God has given me. And I want to commit to doing that this month. If that's you, would you raise your hand? need to get better at gratitude and honor. Awesome. Hands everywhere. Thank you. You can put those down. Secondly, maybe you would identify yourself as sort of a stubborn person, and you want to tell God that you want to be more teachable. You're willing to be more teachable. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome. Hands everywhere for that one, too. You can put those down. Third, maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. You don't know what it is to have a relationship with God, but you'd like to today. You want to receive forgiveness and start to live for him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome. Two, three, four, five. Amen. You can put those down. Father, we thank you and we praise you for every single person. Each one of those five souls, especially, that have decided to follow you. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, God, we call their hearts back to you. That they would leave here feeling your presence deeper than they ever have before. 
leaving here different than they came in. Father, I pray for every single one of the responses today that we would be a teachable people, vibrant, passionate, and selfless with a passion for the gospel. God, help us go out into our world this week as lights for you, salt of the world, that we would speak into it with life and freedom and hope, that we would move in unity, loving God and loving people. Let it be never just another Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you join me in thanking Pastor Candice for this word? <laughs> Hearing no is never easy. But I was, I was thinking the expression, when God closes a door, he opens a window. When God says no, look for the area he's saying yes. Where is it in your life he's telling you, no, 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 not that, over here. Do this. This is where you'll succeed, where you'll find my blessing, where you'll walk in my will. Uh, and because we don't want this to be just another Sunday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. Go to the FE Church app. Go to the Sermon Notes page and, and check out this week's notes. You'll find it continued reading. Go a little bit deeper in this. Challenge yourself and, and find it. If you're in a home group, we'll be talking about this in just a few days. Come prepared. Make this go beyond just Sunday. Would you stand up before we go so we can close out this time of worship and open up the time of following God throughout the week? Our prayer team's making their way forward to the front of the stage to pray with you about anything that you have going on in your life. Don't leave here without an opportunity to pray with someone. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word, this time of worship, and for the baptisms we've celebrated. I ask that as we go from this place, we wouldn't leave it here, but take it with us so that it would go beyond just Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. everybody. Welcome to Home Groups, where we apply the message we heard this weekend at FE Church. This weekend, Candace had the third week in our Never Just Another Sunday sermon series, focusing on the heart for God's house, where David actually wanted to build God a house. But before he even started it, he went to his spiritual leader, a man who actually rebuked him for his sin earlier in his life, mm -hmm. and he told him his plan. And that man was like, God says no. So this person who's rebuked him and corrected him before says no, and we really studied how David responded to that now. We see that David didn't um, rationalize and say, well, that's just his problem, I'm fine. He actually took correction well from not just his spiritual leader, but from God himself and changed his behavior. He genuinely repented. A lot of us think we genuinely uh -huh. repent, but in reality, we just rationalize and continue doing whatever we were doing before. So let's look at that. Last week, we talked about turning over the tables in our lives and repenting of sin and staying away from it. Have we done that? 
Let's take some time in our groups and evaluate. Have you made progress or given over to Jesus the things that you said you would? Because David probably had to do that before going to Nathaniel saying, this guy called me out for my sin. Am I in the right? And is and so think about that. Have you repented? And then think about what is God talking to you about? What is he telling you? And then also acknowledge, you know, David, he wanted to build God a house because he was grateful for what God had already given him. Yeah, so in this case, it wasn't sin. He had a good heart behind what he wanted to do, but God still said, no, yeah. you're not the guy for the job. And instead, he found what was in his hand to do, which was be super grateful for everything that God had given him, even all of the jobs that God had given him that were difficult and rough to go through. He was grateful for those. And he said, well, okay, you're not gonna let me build the house build you a house, that's fine, but here's what I can do instead. I want to support the people who can do what I want to do in the long run. David focused on what he could do. He focused on what he was grateful for. He didn't focus on the, well, Nathaniel yelled at me and he won't let me do what I want. I'm just going to go do my own thing. He said, I'm so grateful to God. So I think acknowledging our motivations is big. When when we talked last week about flipping the tables, there might have been a motivation of conviction. And that can be a good motivation, but it shouldn't be our only motivation. We should also be motivated out of gratitude. So this week, let's talk about the decisions we made last week. Let's talk about how we respond maybe when God says no in our lives. And let's look at the things we're grateful for so that they can become motivations to do what God has us to do. Yeah. Have a great discussion, guys. We'll see you next week.